So why would he fail now? He won't. He might fail. He won't. We get to worship a king that won't fail. He, he can't fail. Preachers fail. Presidents fail. Governors fail. Parents fail. Kids fail. Teachers fail. Everybody fails, but he won't. Right? This morning we're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 6. If you want to go ahead and turn there in your copy of God's Word. Still going through the series on King David called The Sling and the Rock. Uh, we call it that because David's best remembered for the story of David and Goliath where he killed the giant with a sling. But we didn't call it a rock and a sling. We called it the sling and a rock because the Bible speaks of Jesus as a rock and one of the most important things, the most, most important thing about King David is that he remained in King Jesus. He wasn't perfect, but that's where he found his strength, his peace, his forgiveness, his character, all from the king. He remained in the king. This morning, I hope you're not able to sit in your normal spot because somebody else had taken your seat. Are you? Man, if you're our guest this morning, thank you for choosing to worship with us. We don't care about the clothes you wore in this place. You're going to see from this story that we're going to read today, God doesn't give a rip about clothes. This one's even weird about clothes. And one of the applications is don't do this today. At least let us soak on it. Or at least get home to do it. <laughs> um, but we're really glad you're here today if you're our guest. And we hope that you will worship Jesus alongside us and allow Jesus to speak deeply to you. He's our only hope. And we have found that song to be true. Why would he fail now? Why would he fail now? He won't. I'm going to preach similar to the way I did last week uh, where we read a little bit and then I talked about it, read a little bit and talked about it and then we're going to make some observations and applications at the end. Second Samuel, um, starting in verse 1, the title of the message today is Dancing King. Not Dancing Queen, but Dancing King. At the point... In the timeline of David's life that this happens, uh, Saul and Jonathan and his whole family, uh, all the brothers had died in battle. And so King David has ascended the throne. the throne. He is king now. He's ruler. Nobody questions it. He's ruler over a united kingdom, both Judea and Israel. All of Israel. Nobody questions his kingship. And so he's making the call now. And this is where we are in the story. 2 Samuel 6. David again assembled all the fit young men in Israel. 30,000. He and all his troops set out to bring the ark of God from Baal Judah 
the ark bears the name, the name of the Lord of armies who is enthroned between the cherubim. Now, I don't know what you know about the Ark of the Covenant. Maybe from Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark. That might be where you get most of your knowledge. Um, and that's cool. It's, it, it is kind of real like that. It is a real thing. And it's kind of like what they saw in uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Indiana Jones. I love Indiana Jones. Y'all love Indiana Jones? Some of y'all don't know who Indiana Jones is. Movie night. Um, the ark, God commanded his people to build the ark not long after they exited slavery from Egypt. And he gave them specifics about the ark, the type of wood to be used. It, and it was a box. And it was overlaid with gold inside and out. And then it had a lid on top of it. And it had... On top of the lid, there were two angels that were built on top of the ark facing one another. And in the middle of the two angels was a seat, and that was called the mercy seat. And that's where the presence of God stayed. And on the sides of the ark, there were these two rings on each side, and they would take a pole and go through the rings on each side, and there would be people carrying the ark on each side. And... This, this ark rested in the Holy of Holies of the tabernacle. Maybe one day we can do a message on the tabernacle. It's awesome. But this ark rested in the Holy of Holies. And this is where the presence of God stayed. Not everybody got to go in this room. Actually just one priest a year. But that's where the presence of God was. This is a really big deal. Now what's happened at the, to the ark at this point, you can check this out in 1 Samuel 5 if you want to do some back study. I can't do all of it. But the ark is still in, in, in Israelite control. Saul is the king. And he is whipping the Philistines. And they, they see that when the Israelites have this ark, they always win. So the Philistines say, we're going to take the ark. We want the ark. The Israelites stopped doing what God told them to do. The Philistines whipped them and they took the ark into their control. So the Philistines have the ark and they're celebrating and they're like, hey, we got the ark now. They don't have the presence of God. We've got the presence of God with us now. Ha, 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 ha. We're going to whip their tails. Well, they bring the, the ark back to their camp and they set the ark by a statue that represents their God called Dagon. And they go to bed. And then they wake up the next morning and they look out there at the ark and the statue of their God Dagon is laying on its face pointing toward the ark. That's God saying, I don't need people to whip you. Your little G God bows on its face to me. So what'd they do? They did what everybody would do. They set their statue back up of their God. They set it there by the ark. And they had their day and they went to sleep. And they woke up the next morning and they walk outside. They check on the ark and Dagon is back on his face. But he is decapitated and he has no hands. Saying, in, in my presence... 
idols have to fall and they have to die. Dagon's done. Well, they still keep the ark. You know, obviously this troubles the Philistines and God sends tumors and bulls on the Philistines. And God sends mice on the Philistines. And they're, they're dealing with all this and they're like, man, forget this. We wanted the thing, but we don't want this that comes with it. So they build a, a cart and tie it to some oxen and they slap the ox on the rear and say, man, take it anywhere but here. And so the ox run off, and they land at Absalom, Absalom, Abinadab's house. And it stays there for 20 years. And David says, I want the presence of God back in the kingdom. And he knows about the ark. And so he rounds up 30 men and he says, we're fixing to go get the ark, boys. 30,000 men. And we're going to bring it back to us. And we're going to have the presence of God again. Verse 3. They set the ark on a new cart and transported it from Abinadab's house, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the cart. And brought it with the ark of God from Abinadab's house on the hill. Ahio walked in front of the ark. David and the whole house of Israel were dancing before the Lord with all kinds of fir wood instruments, lyres, harps, tambourines, sistrums, and cymbals. When they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah reached out to the ark of God and took hold of it because the oxen had stumbled. Then the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah, and God struck him dead on the spot for his irreverence, and he died there next to the ark of God. David was angry because of the Lord's outburst against Uzzah, so he named the place Outburst Against Uzzah. Creative, as it is today. David feared the Lord that day and said, How can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? So he was not willing to bring the ark of the Lord to the city of David. Instead, he diverted it to the house of Obed-Edom of Gath. The ark of the Lord remained in his house three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his whole family. So check this out. They build a new cart. They set the ark on the cart. They hook it up to oxen, and they begin to make their way to the city of David and everybody's dancing in front of the ark. Everybody's worshiping in front of the ark. Praise the Lord. We have the presence of God back. Just just singing, music, dancing. Everything's going on. It's a party. Praise the Lord. And then the oxen hit a rock. And it stumbles. And poor Uzzah, he reaches up and he, he grabs the ark to stop it from hitting the ground because we don't want the presence of God to hit the ground, right? We don't want what represents the presence of God to hit the dirt. And Uzzah reaches up and he falls dead. And David gets angry with God saying, what are you doing? I'm trying to get the presence of God back to where it's supposed to be and you killed my dude. Angry. You know, it's so funny to me when I hear people talk about 
the Scripture, they sometimes in their mind feel like that we have evolved to a point where we're smart enough to look at some things God did in the Scripture and say, well, I don't like that. Man, folks been not liking what God's doing for a long time. The people of God have been offended by God for a long time. Sometimes God does things that offends our soul. And we point at him and say, what are you doing? David wasn't too good for that. David did that. More on Uzzah later. Does that make you question? Does that make you a little angry? I feel sorry for Uzzah. Verse 12. It was reported to King David, The Lord has blessed Obed-Edom's family and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and he had the ark of God brought up from Obed-Edom's house to the city of David with rejoicing. When those carrying the ark of the Lord advanced six steps, when who carrying the ark of the Lord? Were the oxen still in the picture? No. You know why? Because in Exodus 25, God said, don't put my stuff on an ark. You have men carry it with poles. Somebody, when Uzzah died, somebody went back home and started studying. And they came back saying, hey, you know what? We're going to try, we we tried to worship God our way last time, but this time we're going to do it God's way because somebody died. I think Exodus 24 is up there somewhere. I'm sorry, I got excited there. Um, I kind of got ahead. But this time they're saying, we're going to carry the ark like God said. Where were we? When those carrying the ark of the Lord advanced six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fattened calf. They haven't taken but six steps with the ark in their hand. And David says, Ho, stop. Everybody stop. Something's got to die right here. And they killed an ox. Y'all, that is a massive beast of an animal. And they killed a fattened calf. Another massive beast of an animal. And they take the blood and they drip it on the mercy seat because they say, we're not worthy. There has to be blood on the mercy seat. We're not worthy, God. We see that now. David's saying, I'm doing it God's way this time. My way failed last time. David was dancing with all his might before the Lord, wearing a linen ephod. Now, when you look up the word ephod, this is where it gets uncomfortable. Some people say it's an apron, but really this is ancient fruit of the loom whitey tidies. David is dancing in his underwear. Now, that's the part 
let's let this soak in before we apply, okay? We don't ask for much on what you wear to church here. We, we do ask for a little more than that, so let's, let's, let's hold back a little. David is in absolute worship to the king, and the reality is he's stand, standing before the Lord fully exposed. He has taken the limelight off of David as king. He is no longer saying, I will worship God my way. He is now saying, God, you have your way, and that's all that matters. I'm nothing. I can be exposed. And when I worship you, I will be. He and the whole house of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of the ram's horn. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Saul's daughter Michal looked down from the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. Michal is King Saul's daughter that Saul gave to her, that Saul gave to David um, in another really weird story. But Michal is looking through the window, and here comes the king of Israel walking in front of the ark of God, dancing and leaping in his underwear in front of everybody. And she's saying, man, you are humiliating me. I don't want to be associated with you. This is embarrassing. And it says she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent David had pitched for it. Then David offered burnt offerings and fellowship offerings in the Lord's presence. When David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of armies. Then he distributed a loaf of bread, a date cake, and a raisin cake to each one in the entire Israelite community, both men and women. Then all the people went home. That, that is the strangest way to end a worship service I've ever seen. I like David is getting no calls to be anybody's church worship leader. One time he's leading worship and dude dies. Another time he's leading worship and he's in his underwear. And at the end of worship, he don't pray. He's like, here's some bread. Go home. It's, it's weird. I don't know. You know, I looked at that scripture and I was like, why is that detail in there? He gave them all uh, raisin cakes and date cakes and bread. Weird detail, but I'll tell you this. There's more in a minute. When you see a weird detail in the scripture, study it. Never, never is the scripture random. Never is it meaningless, never is it small. When you don't get something, study harder. It's there. When David returned home to bless his household... Saul's daughter, Michal, came out to meet him. Well, this is a blessing. How the king of Israel honored himself today, she said. He exposed himself today in the sight of the slave girls of his subjects like a vulgar person who would expose himself. 
David replied to McCall, It was before the Lord who chose me over your father and his whole family to appoint me ruler of the Lord's people Israel. Yes. Dude's got guts. I will dance before the Lord, and I will dishonor myself and humble myself even more. However, by the slave girls you spoke about, I will be honored, and Saul's daughter, McCall, had no child to the day of her death. Is that not weird too? Like all this stuff had happened, and the end of the story is McCall didn't have any kids. More on that in a little bit too. But David comes in and he's ready to bless his family. He has just brought the ark back. This is a big day and McCall meets him with sarcasm at the front door and, he, and she says, boy, you really made yourself look like a king today, didn't you? And he responds to her and says, wait a second, God chose me over your family, which had to be a little difficult to hear. And he continued and he said, sister, I will dance before the Lord tomorrow too. And I'll dance before the Lord the next day too. And there's more dishonor and more humility to come to me, but there is more glory to be pushed to him. Get used to it. Because Jesus chose for me to lead, not your daddy. What a man. Three things I want us to see from this story, which is absolutely true. When I say the word story, I don't want you to hear in your mind fairy tale. This happened. This is a story that comes from truth. Number one is the problem of the presence of God. I want you to see that, and I want us to focus on that just a minute and, and, it, and it may take you back a little bit that I said the problem of the presence of God. And, and the reality is the problem is not with the presence of God, but it is with the people who interact with the presence of God. There is a problem here. The Philistines said, if I can get that ark, if we can get that ark, we will win. Like the presence of God is a lucky rabbit's foot on a keychain. And they found out that when you bring the presence of God into your camp, God deals with you first. He, he, he doesn't go after your enemies first. He doesn't try to deal with your spouse first. He doesn't try to deal with your kids first. He doesn't try to deal with your boss first. He's not trying to win those wars for you. He deals with us. And then, and then the ark comes to Israel and David goes to get it. And, and what did they do? They put the ark on another cart. They put the ark on another cart. It never should have been there. And David is still thinking, if I can get the presence of God into the city of David, we'll never lose again. But that's not what the presence of God is about, friend. It's the way we think of it. We, we think, man, God, I wish you would come to our nation to get those bad people. But when God comes, 
he will directly deal with his church. Nobody, nobody, when the Lord descends on a place, sits there and says, man, this is awesome. It's cool. When God descends on a place, we are like Dagon, falling down on our faces before him, saying, oh, my goodness. It is uncomfortable to be in the presence of God. And when, when you see David dancing in his underwear, he calls us to do things that are uncomfortable for us, and it also makes others uncomfortable as well. That's what the presence of God does. He doesn't come to deal with the bad people. Man, that was a nice trick. He did a cartwheel right there. Here's another, here's, here's another thing that we need to see. Did you know, did you notice that there's two instances of worship here and God calls only one of them irreverent and it's not the one where dude's dancing in his underwear? It's the one where dude did what God said don't do. We're, we're all, we're, we are completely consumed in our world with what everybody else is thinking about what I'm doing. Jesus prescribes worship. Jesus prescribes worship. We do what he tells us to do. It is the shallowest. I don't want you to walk away from this message about worship thinking about singing. I really don't. But y'all, it is, it is so irreverent for us to have conversations like, I really like praise music. I want to go to a church where they sing hymns. And I know this is offensive and I'm sorry, not really. But I, I want to... I want to sing hymns. I like it when we sing upbeat. I like it when we do the slow jam. I, what does Jesus want? Who are we worshiping? Wouldn't it be irreverent to say, Jesus, I worship you, but I like to do it this way? What? That's not worship at all. That's I enjoy it. When you worship Jesus, son, you, son, I, I got excited again. When you worship Jesus, we start with him. He does what he wants, and we may leave and say, man, that made me uncomfortable. We may leave and say, ugh, I may need a break next week. That messed me up. Number two, only one person can be big in our lives. We have to choose between our dignity or his glory. So McCall comes from this background where she's been raised in a palace her whole life. 
She's worn the best clothes. She's represented nobility. She has watched her daddy rule from a place of selfishness. She loves the kingdom. She loves life in the kingdom. She loves people looking at her with respect. She likes everybody to know who she is. And David's a shepherd. David's been walking in poop. That's the third week poop's been mentioned in a row. David's a shepherd and he's, he's not been raised in a palace. He's been raised with the presence of God that has helped him grab a lion by the nap of the neck and kill him with his bare hands. That's what David's been raised in. And he knows it wasn't him. It was his God. And he's been, he's been on this journey where he faced this giant that there's no way he should have won. Everybody was laughing at him. Everybody. And he watched God guide the rock right there and kill the giant. And here he is in the presence of God this time, and everybody's watching. And I guess the Lord leads him to strip down to his underwear. That's all I know to say. And he's dancing, and he's jumping, and he's leaping in his underwear, worshiping and singing. It says he's dancing with all his might before the Lord. And McCall sees it and she is completely offended that a king would do that. Friend, I don't know if Jesus is going to call you to dance in your underwear. But I will tell you this. He will call you to do something that's going to make you wrestle in your mind with your dignity. He's going to call you to do something that's going to, that's going to make you say, man, I, I want to do that, but I know what they're going to think. Uh, if, I, if I raise my hands in worship, everybody's going to be... Th- I know how I think about people when I see them raise their hands in worship. And I'm like, are they real? Everybody's going to be wondering if I'm real if I raise my hands in worship. What if you're raising your hands in worship because of what Jesus has done for you, not what you've done for him? Like, like that's, that's when it becomes real. Not when I'm celebrating me, but when I know I have been found in the pit and he has gotten me out. You know what I'm saying? Forget what people are thinking. You're, you're, God's going to speak to your spirit in, in haze when you're checking out and he's going to say... Man, here's this guy. Ugh. And I need to tell him what Jesus is doing in my life. But uh this, this is not the time or the place. This is just not the time. I mean, I, I'm gonna hold up the line. People are gonna get mad at me behind me. Uh just do what he says. We cannot constantly be in this war where we are fighting against our dignity. He will call us to be uncomfortable, I promise you. And our uncomfortableness will lead to other people's uncomfortableness watching us. It happens. And it's supposed to. God is uncomfortable. If you're meeting with a God that doesn't make you uncomfortable, that's not the God of the Bible. 
Man, he messes me up. I got a lot to deal with when I open the scripture. You know, McCall, she wasn't the only one looking at David that day thinking, what an idiot. There was probably a pretty good pocket of people that were saying, boy, I feel good about the kingdom now. Dude's a lunatic in his underwear. But you know what else there was there? There was also a pocket of people that were watching the king respond to his God. And don't you know some of them were on the verge of just full surrender to Jesus, full surrender to God. They were right there on the edge and they were watching the king and dude's royal tunic comes off. They're like, man, what's going on? And, and, and he starts shaping his clothes. I don't know what he was saying. He starts shedding his clothes. And he's like, hey, y'all, I'm dancing for Jesus today. It's all, it's all going to the side today. Y'all get ready. I'm messed up for him today. And don't you know that pocket of people that were waiting to, to just take that plunge saw the king, the leader, say to God, it's all about you. I don't give a flip about me. I need to be less. I need to be more humble. You need glory. You need glory. Don't you think there was a pocket of people that were watching that go down saying, all right, I'm in too now. Last Sunday, in the last song, if you were here, it was undeniable that the Spirit of the Lord did something special in here. I can't tell you what he did in your soul. I'm not sure I know exactly what he's doing in my soul. But I watched it happen. And there's some people that come in this room every single Sunday. And I know who most of you are and I love you. And we're waiting on them to take that plunge and say, I need Jesus. I'm past it. I need Jesus. I'm over it. I just want to follow Jesus now. And when they saw the people of God responding, not doing anything crazy, just doing exactly what he says. Go, go pray, go pray, go pray. When they saw that, that had to say to them, God's moving here. They had to see that and process, maybe I should just do what he says too. Our worship doesn't end with us. When God is telling us to do something, the only intent is not humility. It is that He wants you to be obedient because He's working in this person over here. Last point. It's weird. Raising cakes and barrenness. So I couldn't take it. I had to dig and figure out what's going on with how you end a worship service with date cakes. We thought about having some until we figured out why they did that. But raisin cakes were considered an aphrodisiac. If you don't know what that is, ask your mom and dad. <laughs> You're welcome. 
Yeah, God just ascended. It's uncomfortable. Um, but check this out, y'all. He, he finishes the worship gathering by, it, it, and it's so specific, it says, he gives them to men and women. And he sends them home. And then at the end, it talks about McCall's barrenness, and I don't, I don't think that's a punishment from God that happens. I really don't. I think the scripture is telling us something about worship here. It's, it is a response to who our God is. I mean, when we think about intimacy with our spouse, like you don't, you don't put it on the calendar, or I don't. It's a, it is a natural, intimate response to each other. And, and with God, intimacy is the same way. We, we see who God is. And, and we, we just know we're just catching a glimpse. We're not seeing all of who God is. We, we would die, but we, we, we see who God is and we just respond. And it's not on a calendar for Sunday morning. It's, it's a response to who He is every single day. And it's, it's natural. It's a natural response to who He is. And when we live that lifestyle, it produces fruit. But when your worship is boxed in by your dignity, it will be fruitless. When I have decided in my mind, Jesus, I'll worship you however, but I won't do that. Jesus, I'll worship you however, but I'm not going to bring shame on me. Jesus, I'll worship you. Well, I'll do whatever you say to me, but this is off limits over here. I won't, I won't do that. That's too weird. That's too much. You are also making your worship fruitless. We can't be that kind of church. We can't be. We can't be the kind of church that is consistently bound up in what people are thinking about me or what th people are thinking about us. We have to be consistently, genuinely praying and begging God, Jesus, what do you want? And we will do it. And y'all, when we simply do that, I'm, I'm not telling you Jesus is going to tell you to move to Uzbekistan. He may be telling you to share the gospel with your family. He may be simply telling you to come to the altar. He may be simply telling you to let this person live with you because they're in need. He may be telling you to do those things. When you just say yes, the rest is taken care of. It's history. Jesus takes care of it. Three applications before we go. Allow worship to start with the person of Jesus. Please, friend, don't come in here 
on Sunday, don't live your life thinking the worship service is going to be good or bad based on what songs we sing. The worship service is going to be good or bad based on what message we hear or who preaches. Please begin with, man, I think this is so countercultural for the church in America. Please begin with, Jesus, what do you want? It should not be countercultural because we're his church. But how many times do we say, Jesus, what do you want? And live it. Just do whatever he wants. Just be ready to respond with whatever he wants. Lose. Let him win. It's always better when we lose and he wins. Number two, let Jesus have his way in you. Man, if we're, if we're in the middle, listen to me. Please listen to me. If you hadn't heard anything else, please, please take this away today. If I am in the middle of my message and Jesus speaks to you and says, go pray in front of the church. Get up off your chair and come pray. My message will be much more powerful if in your seat you're doing what he told you to do. If Jesus tells you to raise your hands in worship, he'll take care of the fact you forgot your deodorant. Do it! The church becomes extremely weak when we're trying to do things with our own gears and strategies and structures, and it becomes extremely powerful when it's just simply living in surrender. What do you want? I'll do it. Last thing, let Jesus have his way in us. The last one's an individual thing, but this is also an us thing. As a body, we need to be submitted together under his authority and rule. Together. We're not just saying it on our own, Jesus, have your way in us, but we're also saying together, Jesus, have your way in us. We'll do whatever you tell us to do. We believe, we, we know, we believe you know what the community needs. We'll do that. We believe you know what we need. We'll do that. And maybe it's just that your presence comes and deals with us. And maybe that's what the community needs. A body where the presence of God is dealing with the church. And they ain't said nothing yet to the community. God's just dealing with us. And supernaturally, he begins to deal with them because he's dealing with us. And we're just doing what he says. Last thing before we go. I want to share the gospel of Uzzah with you.
Man, I feel sorry for Uzzah. He seemed innocent. It seems like this reactionary thing that he sees the ark of God fallen and he wants to protect the thing that represents the presence of God so he, he holds it up and he dies instantly. But the problem with that thinking is the dirt that the ark would have hit has never looked at God and told him no. But as I had. The dirt of God's ground was cleaner than the grease on Uzzah's hand. But I still think Uzzah points to thousands of years later when Jesus, who was innocent, Uzzah wasn't innocent, but Jesus was completely innocent, touched this thing made of wood and at the same time experienced the wrath of God in a moment. Not because he had sinned, but because he had taken on all of ours and in that moment he represents every sin me and you have ever done in our lives. And, And justice and mercy collided at the cross. Mercy on us, but justice from the wrath of God. He had to punish something, so he punishes his son on the cross and that represented justice but it also represented that he was making a way for us to be free. As tough as that story is to understand in our mind was pointing to the gospel of Jesus that represented good news when, when the wrath of God would descend again. But this time he gave us the opportunity to be completely righteous under his blood. This morning I'm going to ask you to do whatever Jesus tells you to do. And man, that's not an application for today. That's an application for us forever. If if we get anything out of the bridge church, it is that people begin to do exactly what Jesus tells them to do. I want to give you the opportunity to respond if you need salvation. I know that some of you are in the room and you're hearing message after message after message after message. And maybe today is the day that you say, I want to trust Jesus. Maybe some of you have been dealing with Jesus telling you to do something that you know is going to upset your family. And you need the courage to do what he says. David knew what that felt like. Maybe if you're being realistic, you know that you're more like McCall. And when you see everybody responding, or when you see others responding to what Jesus has told them to do, you look at them and you're like... How shameful. Friend, you need to repent of that. We need to repent of that. You let other people do what Jesus tells them to do, you do what he tells you to do.
This morning we're freeing up. If he tells you to dance, dance. If he tells you to come to the altar, come to the altar. Do what he says. Before we start singing again, if you want to trust the Lord for the first time, I want to give you the opportunity to do that. And maybe you think this is awkward. It's not near as awkward as if somebody was dancing in their underwear, so we'll be okay. Um, If you want to trust the Lord for the first time, will you stand up this morning? I know that'll take boldness. I know that's kind of scary. You can keep your clothes on. If you want to trust the Lord this morning, maybe today is the day of salvation for you. You can stand up right now. We'll help you. Praise the Lord. Thank you all for being so bold. Thank you for your courage. And we've been praying for you guys. It's, it's awesome to see what Jesus is doing. Um, well, a couple of you ladies take these two to my office or Kirk's office and uh, talk to them about what it means to trust the Lord. Or ten of you, that's fine. Man, let's not, uh, let's not let people taking their first step in the journey respond to Jesus better than us who have walked a while. Do whatever he tells you to do. Father, we come to you this morning and we are in awe still. Man. That's enough. We're in awe. In Jesus' name, amen.